How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thank you for doing this. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Of course. And I heard we don't have to walk through a hundred slides now. So I'm much relieved. You sure. I, I love going slide <laughs> by slide. Okay, welcome everybody. We're here today with Rachel Rothman, head of hotels research at CBRE, uh, to discuss all things hotels and the economy and research. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Very exciting. All things hotels. All things hotels. Well, it's year end, so we want to do the year end wrap up and talk about what's coming next year and the macro economy and interest rates and hotel stats and capital markets and things like that. So this sure. will be fun. I did full disclosure. I printed out, you'd be proud. I printed out and I read, I even took notes. There's notes on there. I read your U.S. State of the Union, U.S. Hotel State of the Union. So Gold star. Gold star. Plus. So I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping I'm fully prepared. Me too. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> you know more than I. All right, let's get into it. So tell, where are we, where are we headed and why? And I think I might start off. Are we in a recession? Are we going to be in a recession? When's that recession thing that we've been talking about for forever coming? Um, well, I will say it does not appear as though we're currently in a recession. I don't happen to be the global chief economist. I think they're calling for a slowdown in the first half of 2024. Um, I think what's been surprising, though, is how strong the economy has been. And yet we have yet to see hotel demand sort of recover to pre-pandemic levels. And in many cases, hotel demand is actually declining. That was particularly acute over the summer months. And of course, it varies whether or not you're a select service property or a full service and, and what market you're in. But there has been a disconnect in the economic environment um, and in hotel fundamentals, which historically has not existed. Talk to me about chain scales um, and the variances and the things that we've seen sort of in luxury and mid-scale and really economy. Talk about that because there's a lot going on there. Um, so those lower price point chain scales came out of the gate first in the recovery when everybody needed shelter. Um, they needed to reduce the density in shelters, find housing for first responders. Um, and we really saw a strong recovery in the lower tier. Now, as that trend is unwinding itself, you are seeing the steepest declines concentrated in the lower price points as those trends normalize. I think another thing that you saw is, um, as we always said in hotel school, the industry is not overbuilt, it's under bulldozed. Mm -hmm. And many of those assets actually closed and closed permanently during the pandemic. And so that gave them even a stronger boost to occupancy. So they're coming out the other side with less supply, which is a positive. Um, but they are seeing a reduction in demand and in ADR as those trends normalize back to their historical. You think levels. that economy segment holds up? I think the economy in mid-scale can often be tied to rent growth in multifamily. Um, and there is still a housing shortage. And so I do think that you, will you see strong growth? We're not calling for strong growth, but do I think that there will still be demand for those products? Absolutely. I think, unfortunately, we house a lot of people in, in those chain scales. And, and it's interesting. You've seen the brands, Hilton Marriott specifically, but Choice leaning in to yeah. that economy. I'm going to call it extended stay. Uh, maybe it's workforce housing segment. Mm -hmm. They're really leaning into that. So I guess that's why. 
I mean, I think the interesting dilemma that each owner or developer will need to go through is, you know, is there, is the pie going to grow or are you just taking share either from an upper one tier above you or from a competitor in the same chain scale, or is it a combination of both, right? It grows the pie a little bit, but not enough to offset that supply. And where um, do you cannibalize? What what assets are most at risk? And I think that's going to come down to a geography by geography decision, right? What other hotels are around you? But I don't think that there's enough demand growth, at least as currently stated, to grow the pie by the same amount. That's really interesting. So I wonder who's going to, because they're leaning in. I mean, the developers are really, the institutional developers sure. are really leaning in and trying to build a bunch of these, again, ongoing workforce housing sort of across the country. So mm -hmm. who, which side do you think they cannibalize from? You think they pull from the lower end or from the upper end? I think they probably pull from any asset that is underinvested in. Yeah, that would be first, um, particularly if they can compete at that price point. Right. I think if it turns out that, that the price point is higher than they thought, um, which has happened in the past, right? Some people have said, oh, we're going to come in an economy and the next thing you know, it's actually mid-scale. Then you can wind up bumping up against a brand that's already there and already somewhat fresh. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's very well said. We, we, we've often seen the new economy brand compete with the older mid-scale brand. They're yep. supposed to be here and they ended up being right there. Yeah. And particularly, you know, there were some mid-scale brands back in the day that had restaurants um, or some ancillary services. And if those closed during COVID or if they're only operating on very restricted hours or they're not well done, then that difference between, you know, the tier above you and the tier below you narrows even more. So I think you have to be a little bit careful about that. Give me your urban suburban opinions and leisure, but urban suburban. Uh, well, coming out of the pandemic, we saw first a strong recovery, of course, in the resort and suburban locations, town and interstate and even airport. And we saw a lagging in what you might be calling urban or CBD. Now what you see is some reversal in that with urban starting to improve still below pre-pandemic levels. And you're seeing some rollover in suburban and highway locations, partially because they did so well earlier in the recovery. Um, should that continue, we would expect that um, the resumption of inbound international travel, particularly in the summer of 2024, would bode well for urban um, locations, you know, big global gateway cities in the U.S. We would expect them to see outperformance next year. Um, but, you know, it's all dependent on flights and visas. And of course, there's some geopolitical risks out there as well. Talk, talk about that, because I know last year, the, the outbound U.S. travelers, very strong, and the inbound is weaker, right? Yeah. Um, what weakest, do we see for next year? Yeah, the weakest area, of course, was Asia Pacific. Um, if we just roll back the tape, Japan reopened the market, I think, in mid-November 2022, and China reopened in mid-January 2023. As you know, it can take a long time, up to a year, to add back long-haul flight capacity, plus there are visa restrictions sometimes for people coming out of the Asia-Pacific region and other regions. And so it isn't, though, just because the country opened doesn't mean that the floodgates open and visitors come back. If you look at the most recent data, we've had about an 85% recovery in inbound international travel in the most recent months. But looking at the beginning of the year, that was in the 40s and 50s. 
So as we think about that recovery, it will benefit the first half of 2024 more than the second half, because of course the comparison is more difficult in the second half. Um, I think in total, uh, a recovery to 85% would be about 4.7 million inbound international visitors um, and could be about three, three and a half percent of incremental occupancy. So that is depressing occupancy levels and demand. That has been a key headwind that we've been. When does that come back? Um, we're looking at two years, um, so 24 and 25 um, for the inbound international visitation. We do think that it is not immediate. All right, I'm taking notes. I'm writing down all your stats. We're, we're going to check back, see how yeah, accurate. Exactly. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's let's get let's get back to the important stuff: interest rates, because that's what are, and capital markets and stuff, because that's sort of the, a lot of headwinds with everyone right now. So, what do you see happening with with interest rates? When are they when are they coming back down? Um, I think CBRE is looking for them to begin cutting rates um, in the summer of 2024. Okay. Uh, we've obviously seen inflation come down some, um, so I think that there's some hope that they could be on the earlier side than that. Um, given the moderating inflationary trends, and we still have a robust employment picture. I think the important things for hotels wouldn't just be having a reduction in interest rates. It's having a reduction in interest rates without a softening in the economy. And that is, you know, sort of the, the sweet spot or soft landing that everybody calls for. And that's probably a bit trickier than just rate cuts. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They cut rates when the economy slows, right? They got to increase the economy. So do you yeah, think that, that's, that's sweet spot or is that going to be real tricky? Um, again, you know, this isn't my area of expertise, but I think that we are calling for some combination of positive GDP growth or non-recessionary growth in the back half of 2024 and lower interest rates. So from a big picture standpoint, I think we could characterize that as at least a favorable outcome, whether or not that's a sweet spot or soft landing, I can't say for sure. Okay. Now to be fun, is this the CBRE's positive spin on the world or is this, is this what Rachel really believes? Oh, this is what um, our global chief economist has in the marketplace. Yeah. Our forecasts are all um, available. I will say that um, he's a Brit. And he's a PhD. And so okay. I think that there is a healthy dose of self-reflection involved in those forecasts. I would not characterize him as Pollyanna in any way, um, but these are not my views. These are the CBRE house views. Thank you for clarifying that. That's right. I mean, I just got to know. And, and I'm going to go echo this from now because I like that. If, I, if we put it out there and repeat it enough, maybe it comes true. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, although, and I will just roll back the tape. This is on a totally separate topic, um, but you were around then. You know, sometimes people are fearful of higher interest rates. And I remember all of the banking right. deals and all the transactions that we did back in early 2000. And you look at those flagship deals, and I bet they've traded hands three or four times since then. And money has been made each time. So, I don't necessarily think that we just need to fear higher interest rates outright. Would we prefer 1% interest rates? Absolutely. But can money be made in all phases of the cycle? I believe that it can. I love that. That's what we say too. Just tell us the rules of the game. We can play, yes. change the rules on us. So I love the historical effect. So where do you think they're going to end up? Where do you think long-term rates are going to sort of end up? Uh, where do you think the new norm is going to be? 
Um, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to tell you what CBRE is saying, because again, this is um, not 100% my area of expertise, but in the fourth quarter of 2026, we are looking for a Fed funds target of 2.7%. That is down from 5.3-ish uh, currently. We could play in that, in that we'd be super happy. Yes. World. Yes. Yeah. But uh, don't forget, money's been made at much higher interest rates. Yeah, we're let's get done at higher interest rates too. Uh, yeah, there's more motivation out there. Fair. That's the other thing that we learned from the GFC. But even now, we we need, we just need capital, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of the problem. Like some of the pain, the pain that we're seeing now is when a, um, is when a uh, loan maturity comes, and it the math just doesn't work. There's not enough proceeds. They need pay downs. The interest rates are way high. Even the floating rate ones that have jumped up have put a lot of pain on people. Sure. Um, I think for investors that are deep in a particular geography, they might be able to leverage their GNA scale in that market, right? They can take advantage of the fact that they're already operating a certain number of assets in that particular area. And of course, you know, the public guys can access the corporate bond market, which has been fairly liquid. Um, so that would be another option if they needed to. But I agree, it's it's not as easy as it used to be. Um, I think along with that is whether or not you had invested capital in your asset leading up to this point, right? Because for somebody that isn't looking to buy or sell, what's the capex position of their asset? What's the cost to borrow to do that remodel? Um, you know, that's just another complicating factor if it didn't get done when, when interest rates were lower. And we're seeing that the smaller deals are getting done, not the bigger ones is the fair. data. Are you seeing that as well? Yep, that's very fair. And a lot of them are getting done. Um, globally recognized brand, family properties that are well located. Um, they're firstly doing very well. Um, the underperformance that we are seeing in the data is coming from quote unquote the independence, right? So I think that those branded deals may be easier to finance and the fundamentals may be doing better. And you see that in the transaction market as well. Yeah. What are, are you, can you speak, do you see a cap rate that transactions are happening in that middle mid market branded segment? I mean, actually you bring up another point, which is the cap rate expansion in hotels is yeah. much lower than it has been in the other real estate verticals on average. And so if you were an investor that played in, in different pockets, I don't know, in multifamily and office, um, it could be that hotels are looking relatively more attractive at this point because there's been less cap rate expansion. And I would argue, um, some I'm sure somebody will take the counterpoint to this, but as a hotel person, we are one of the only asset classes where the cap rate is still above the cost to borrow in many instances. Um, so you are able to go in in an accretive transaction in, in a short term. Right. You don't have to wait it out. Where do you see where do you see it headed in the future? Where do you see cap rates? Where do you see pricing? Where do you see that headed in the future? I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of that is gonna have to do with the rep park growth and the cost outlook um, between insurance and property taxes and wages. Um, and again, this need for capex. Um I think those factors will conspire to make it such that the best deals are the ones that get done. And then sometimes people say, well, why aren't cap rates expanding more? And I'm like, well, think of how many fewer deals are getting done. The ones that are getting done are the best deals and those command full pricing. 
Uh, good point. That uh, we're going to come back to distress. That'll be my question. Where is the distress? Okay. But let's stay on this topic though. Where's the? Uh, what are you seeing from the from the margin creep? What are you seeing there? You mentioned insurance. You mentioned wages. What are you seeing yeah. in the margin? Um, so margins have been down pretty much every month since the first quarter of 2023, and they were only up in the first quarter because of the easy Omicron comparison from 2022. Right, like anything in the first quarter looked great in 2023. Um, I think that if people are calling for, and I know there are many forecasts out there, but everybody seems to be calling for, I'll say between two and a half and five percent red park growth in 2024, just to put a wide range on it. Um, I think anywhere except at the very highest end of that range, it's likely that most assets or on average assets will experience some margin compression, flat, flat to slightly lower margins. Yeah, I think yep. at two or three percent, it's really hard to get margin expansion. Because everything, the the GOP is rate going up, the expenses are going up so quickly. Correct. Well, they're com they're going up less quickly less. than they used yeah. to be increasing. Yeah. So the pace of the increases is decelerating, but um, nonetheless, costs are going higher. And let's keep let's keep drilling down and get in get to the rev par. So rev par is still going up, right? Rev par is going up. Yeah. Although maybe not outpacing inflation. Inflation. Yep. And most of that rev par increase is through ADR through rate. Correct. And. And not occupancy. Are we starting mm -hmm. to see occupancy slip? You're starting to see occupancy slip. Yep. Right. The last couple of months, occupancy has been coming down. And, you know, from a big picture standpoint, we might say, great, we have less occupancy, but we have more rate. This is actually favorable. The one thing that counters that idea is that, you know, how confident are the revenue management teams and the general manager going to be about pushing, continuing to push rate if they don't feel the demand is there? And I think that there's only so long that that equation of declining demand or declining occupancy and greater ADR can hold. I think ultimately, or at least historically, the pattern has been, you know, occupancy deceleration, then declines, and then ADR deceleration, and then declines. Wages are outpacing rep par growth. Right. So that is a positive for the last several months. Consumers do have money to spend. And that goes back to where we started off saying like, okay, the consumer's strong and they are spending um, for whatever reason they spent in short-term rentals and European trips and cruise lines and in Vegas. And they spent less in what we would call a traditional hotel room this summer. Um, at the same time, as you pointed out, the higher wages are impacting margins at the property level. I think another thing that's impacting wages at the property level are this use of contract labor, right? You can't get the worker. Yep. So it's not just, are you paying, um, you can't find somebody. Right. So now you're contracting with the service and you're paying them a 30% premium to get the worker that you couldn't get. And, you know, whether or not your guest satisfaction is suffering because of that, we do a lot of benchmarking and it does seem like, well, number one, properties with stronger rev park growth are likely because they have stronger guest satisfaction. And for those properties where guest satisfaction is suffered the most, the rev park growth is also suffering. So it goes hand in hand. Yeah, that's why we were coming back to the CapEx point, right? When did you remodel? What does that mean for for go forward positioning for your hotel? How competitively are you positioned? What did what did you see? How many, what 
did most people remodel in the, last year or have they or last three years or have they not have they pushed that off i think a lot of people pushed it off i think there has been some catch up um in 2023 specifically but if you're thinking about a three-year backlog i don't think we've quite caught up to where we needed to be what do you are they going to spend the money this year or are they going to push it off again i think you know i think it'll depend if you have a big portfolio of assets you are in a better position to negotiate with the brands, right? I'll do it where it's most needed. Here's my analysis that shows where it's most needed. Um, I think if you have a one-off property where the guest satisfaction is suffering, um, I think it's going to be tough for you to continue to delay that. You think that's the main score, the guest satisfaction score? And if it does slip, that's when you need to spend? I think you need to spend, but if you can come in and you can say, look, I'm already the top property in my market. I'm already getting a 4.8 or a 4.9. Um, really, what's waiting a year? Or let me go do this other asset that's not actually up for renovation, but it's in a strong market and it's ranking a 3.6 in your system. We'd be better for me to put the capital in here. That would benefit both the franchisor and the management company and the owner more. I think there is some discussion to be had in that in that arena. How how I'm talking consumer confidence, but I really mean hotel owner confidence. How confident do you think the hotel owners are in their profits for 2024, and therefore are willing to reinvest those to improve their property? I would say people are always nervous, right? Um, particularly hoteliers, because we've been through so many cycles. I do think that most of us that have been around for four or five cycles play the long game. And I think if the if if you can demonstrate that there's a need and a benefit to remodeling, I think most of them will do it. Even if they don't like it for a one year return, I think most of them are in it for the long haul and they're willing to step up and allocate the capital when needed. I think it's when they view that the assets doing great um, there's really no need for this. I think that's when it, they'll want to put a finer point on it. I think you're right. Um, and there's so many other factors in there. You know, debt maturity being one. Maybe we move to that. What are you seeing in the debt maturities for next year? Maybe this starts leading us into distress. Um, well, the metrics of distress are actually not looking that distressed. Right. Um, so far. So that's been great. Um, I know there are a couple large maturities out there, but they're from well-funded sponsors. Um, I'm sure they have smarter people than I working on that. In terms of the individual owner, I would imagine that individual owners lock in long-term loans. Um, I don't think many of them used very short-term capital. Um, so on the one-off transaction, I think people are okay. And I think the data bears that out. We actually have not seen a big uptick in distress outside of a few large assets in a few select markets, um, the same as we did during the global financial crisis, the same as we did after 9-11. Um, it's just not as pervasive as people would have thought. Yeah, and we totally agree. We're seeing the distress in certain pockets, big, full service, older assets. Some of those are, you know, are, are a lot of distress. But to your point earlier in this conversation, the new, shiny, well-located, well-branded hotels are doing very well. Thank you very much. And trading very strong pricing. Thank you very much. Yes. And, you know, in some way, and I, I'm not an operator and I'm also not a broker, but if you can figure out why your very large asset is 
not performing well, you know, if you can fix that problem, there's a huge amount of upside. Like if you fix a problem in a 125 room asset, well done, right? But if you can identify something in a 700,000 room, 1200 room asset um, that really moves the needle beyond I happen to be in a challenging uh, geography at the moment, like that can really boost your performance. I, I think that over time, you'll see people that specialize in value-add acquisitions and really feel that they can move the needle in some of these assets, um, go in and, and try to make change. Uh, agreed. I call those the dreamers, but God bless them. And they will, they'll be right. You know, they may not be, but I, they'll come in. That's that's a lot of hard work that most yes. people do. So if, if they come in and do it, they have a chance to be very successful. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, that's, I don't know how to do it, but I mean- We've seen it done before, right? I think the one other just sort of challenge aside from short-term rentals that that oh, I would yeah. just put out there for everyone to think about is, um, you know, Las Vegas and the amount of market share that can be taken by that market, uh, particularly on the convention side, uh, given the relocation of the professional sports teams, uh, the 24-hour amenities, Right. I know 20 years ago, they did all kinds of studies, which are still relevant today that say people prefer to have a convention in Vegas. You can land a plane 365 days a year in the sunshine in the desert. It's five miles, you know, boom, you're at your property. Um, people don't run off the trade floor very quickly because they can know they can go to dinner or drinks as late as they want. Um, it's not like four o'clock and everybody runs for the exit. And I feel like that market has really done a lot to reinvent and rebrand itself um, over the cycles, as we were just speaking about large assets and how you can turn them around. Um, and I think that that is challenging for some other markets that did rely on that convention spend over the years. So you call it for a robust rebound of Las Vegas. I mean, it has been coming back. I just would be surprised if with all the sports teams and everything that they're adding that it didn't continue to take share okay from right. certain markets yeah i'm writing that down vegas las vegas yeah okay good all right uh good what else you want to talk short um, just you know short-term rentals all i would say and i'm not you know an expert in this area but everybody anybody that's going to listen to this is a hotelier and i think it is up to us to evaluate the physical structure of our rooms um, the need states or the use cases, why do people go to these short-term rentals and what can we do to enhance our assets to make them more competitive? Because this is a game that we should be winning. We understand service. We have more amenities on site in most places. Um, what can we do to make them more attractive to multi-generational travel or to suite-based travel? Um, you know, to me, that that's a huge opportunity if we can take that share back. Or uh, talk to me about some, like there's some cities, New York is, ha had a, you know, pushback, like there's some others. Yes. Give me some of those things that you're learning. I mean, you do see a lot of cities um, begin to put in ordinances to restrict right. it. I think in many cases, it's not necessarily just because of the hotel, right? It's because of affordable housing for locals that live there. Um, and I think it's also hard to turn a neighborhood into what is more transient. You know, some people, they bought a home in a residential area. They didn't buy a home in a commercial business district. And I, so there's, 
you know, a case to be made in certain instances that, yes, this benefits the hotels, but more importantly, maybe it benefits the overall community. Um, my angle is more, what can the hotel, like what lesson is in it for us that this happened? And what are people looking for that we're not giving them? And how do we give them that? In the hotel space. Yeah. In we, the hotel space. Yes. We're, we're better. Because we're, we're our better. customers. We're better. Yes. That's exactly right. We're a better answer anyway. Okay. All right. So I want to end where we started. I want, I want to talk about this recession. It's not never coming recession. So are, are you calling recession? Are we not calling recession? What what's that and what's that going to look like? How deep, how shallow? Uh, your- we are calling for a slowdown in the first half of 2024. Um, but for 2024 overall, it looks like we have a GDP, not we, but CBRE has a GDP forecast um, of 8%. So a strong rebound in the back half of 2024. Okay. What are you seeing? What are you hearing from your clients? Yeah, we're all of the above. I mean, I, I, again, I think sort of this, everyone thinks a recession is coming. They're seeing slowdown in profits. They're seeing slowdown in, in corporate. Uh, you know, I'm just going to pick on the stock market. I To me, the stock market should be much lower than it is. There's only sort of negatives in front of it, but some reason it just keeps going. And I don't really understand that. Um, housing market will throw in there should be lower. You know, there should be a big problem with housing market. And yet it's not, you still can't find a house and there's bidding mm-hmm. wars still on homes. And that doesn't make sense to me, right? When interest rates went from 3% to 8%, the value of homes should go backwards. So my answer is that there was just so much money printed and put into the ecosystem that it's just so much more than we ever thought. And it's, that's still working its way through the system. I think. Yeah. It could also be what, you know, just the substitute goods argument that we talked about earlier, right? Um, Where else do you have big liquid marketplaces where you can invest your, your currency or your dollars these days, right? For, for investors from all over the globe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, the U.S. has done pretty well. I think uh, we've navigated things fairly well. I know that there's pockets of weakness. I know people experience pain, but um, just from a global standpoint, things have been fairly resilient and stable here. Yeah. So I'm, um, and in your this, you know, I'm hearing you on this sort of soft landing, and that they're going to be able to thread that needle, which is which is great. Very positive. We're all positive people. Uh, there's a lot of headwinds out there, though. A lot of black swans circling. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I should say for completeness that we do provide five scenarios to all of our metrics. And these base cases that we have discussed include zero black swan events. Yeah. Great. If you'd like to review ones with black swans, we do have those. That is not the base case. Uh, How about just what are the black swans that might possibly show up? I mean, how doomsday? I mean, there's just so many, right? Um, you name them, all the things, war, terrorism, pandemics. Um, we've seen, I don't know if you call mass tragedies, terrorism, you know, domestic incidents. Yes. I mean, there's just so many. Um, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I don't have a specific view on any of them, but I've, like you, for anybody that's been in the industry 30, 40 years, um, we've certainly been resilient through enough of them, but but there have been hard times. Yeah. Don't age us that much, Rachel. Don't age us that much. All right, Rachel, you're the best. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you so much this for your great. time. Um, uh, I'll see you in March. I'll see you at the conference in March. Yes, we'll be there. Looking forward to it. You do a great job as always. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.